What is up? Welcome back to the 3C Podcast. I'm your host, Brett McGrath. It's Friday. You know what that means. I'm bringing a guest on with a ton of insight, a ton of knowledge. I think you might know this guy. I got my man, Sangram Vajray, co-founder at Terminus, leader in account-based marketing. He did something really cool this week. He dropped a book, Move, the four-question go-to-market framework. I'm loving it. We spend some time talking about how he came up with the framework and brought it to life and also how he brought other people in to be contributors in this book. It's a really, really, really good read. I want you all to check it out. I'm going to put the link in the show notes. Sangram's full of energy. I always enjoy spending time with him. If you like what I'm doing over here, hit the subscribe button. Tell a damn friend about the 3C Podcast. Really appreciate that. Without further ado, let's kick it to the conversation. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to the 3C Podcast. Really excited for this conversation. Ahead, I am joined by a guy that most of you out there, I'm, I'm making an assumption, but I, I would imagine based on his activity, most of you all know him. I'm joined by Sangram Vajre. He, he ran marketing at Pardot. He's the co-founder at Terminus. He's got a peak community that I'm involved with, and he's got a new book coming out, which we're going to chat a, a lot about. But Sangram, thanks for being on the show. How are you doing today? Doing great, man. Brett, like when, when you say that, like everybody might know it. My wife might say, yeah, like not, not the people down the street, but everybody out there in the community. I think the world has truly become smaller uh, when you think about our digital community out there. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I've, I've been, I've been, before we got connected and met, I've definitely been monitoring your activity through all the social platforms and you being kind of one of the guys to lead the charge on the ABM front. How do you do it all? Because it just seems like you've you've developed this playbook where you're constantly providing value regardless of the channel. I, how, how do you keep it going? Like, was it a process you developed out of the gates? Um, I'm just curious there. Yeah, sure thing. Well, first of all, I'm not on every channel. I think that's probably the reason you maybe you and I are on the same channel, which is why you might see it. But I'm not on all the channels. Like I, I shut down Facebook about four years ago. Uh, and I'm only doing whenever I do live events, it automatically syncs. So that's the only time you might ever see me on Facebook. I'm not as much on Twitter here and there, especially at events, I'm more active, but mostly not really. Uh, it's really LinkedIn. Three years ago, Brett, I made a commitment saying, you know what, I need to grow. And I'll tell you where, where that happened. There was, uh, I, I was, I was talking to one of our VC folks and he asked me this question. Sangram, are you growing as fast as your organization is growing? And if I were to ask that question to you, and let's say your organization is growing 100%, and if everybody listening right now is asking that question to themselves, if they're in a growth company, if you're growing at like 3%, you know, maybe you're doing better than them. But if your organization is growing at 20%, 40%, 50%, 70%, then the question becomes, are we personally growing at that rate? And quite frankly, my answer to him was, I don't think so. I don't think I'm growing at 70% or 100% at one point when we were growing at that rate. And I think it made me, it drove me to think about like, I need to consistently do something to learn, share and absorb and, and communicate. And I use LinkedIn as a, as a platform of choice. And three years ago, I made a commitment. I'm going to post one thing daily, five days a week. Um, not going to work or worry about views or engagement and whatnot. 
And I'm going to personally engage uh, whenever I feel like in it, especially on the ones that, that I, enga- I want to engage on. Uh, but it just was a consistent thing. And, and one thing to kind of tap it off was, you know, I realized consistency creates massive outcomes. And I've shared that before on uh, the Flip Nothing podcast as well. Is like, if you can do, you can pick one thing, do it consistently for a period of time. You would be surprised and amazed when you look back and say, oh my gosh, that's crazy. Yeah, I think that uh, consistency just as me as the as a marketer who's part of a company that's growing is one of those things. Uh, I wish earlier in my career I would have realized how valuable and how important it, it was um, in the results that it can drive. Um, so I love the call out there. One of the other things before we jump into the topic, I just would love to touch on is just this idea of community. I I talk a lot about the modern day marketer and how really the modern day marketer shares and is involved and is engaging, whether it's on LinkedIn, whether it's in communities like Peak. I have noticed since being out of the MarTech space, now being back in, like the marketers that are really driving change and the ones that are, um, I think, building great, helping support and build great brands for the companies that they work for, they're in the game. They're in these communities. They're they're sharing value. They're sharing what they're working on. They're learning from others. I'd love since you see it every day on LinkedIn and in Peak. I'd I'd love for for to understand maybe some of these qualities and observations that you've been noticing from these modern day marketers that are involved in sharing their stuff. You know, one one thing a lot of people recognize. I think I want to just recognize one thing upfront, Brad. Is it everybody is working extremely hard right now and are probably burning on both sides of the candles and getting work done and community might be just another oh i don't i don't have time to be on another slack group or another whatever like peak group or anything like that and i think i and i get it and then i meet people when they're about to even they just lose their job or when they uh when they're looking for a new gig they're immediately trying to build a network and, and try to find, you know, a community or something to like, okay, I'm ready to get a job. And I think it, it, it really baffles me. And I remember this conversation with an intern and I told him uh, he was an intern. We had in the peak, we had like onboarding sessions for, uh, for everybody. And he said, I want to join the emerging CMO group. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, emerging CMO group is for people who are at least a manager, at least have somebody in that group. And that way, in the next, we want to see a thousand people become CMOs in the next two to five years. That's one of the goals of, of, of the peak community. But you're an intern. He's like, I don't care. I'll pay like, you know, whatever I need to pay to get into that group. And the very same day, Brett, I made a VP of marketing who I thought should be, you know, is, is in the next two years, this person is going to be a CMO. And, and, and totally has all the qualities. And I said to him, hey, you should be in this group. Like I'm selling this person to be in this group. And he's like, man, uh, can I get a discount on, on being a man? And I, you know, at that very moment, it flashed on me is that, oh my God, five years from now, that intern is going to be the CMO. And this other guy is still probably going to be looking for a gig or something. So to me, this, the moral of that story really is that I think if people recognize that investing in yourself is going to help you not worry about it when you absolutely need it. You don't build a network when you need it. Uh, then I think every one of those intentional people, and that's only 1%. Now, this is not for everybody. Everybody listening to your to this conversation, it may not be for you. It will be for 1% of the people who's listening to this would take the time to invest at least 15, 20 minutes 
in another community or somewhere so that they're getting better. If you can't do that, you're going to have a hard time finding a new gig and you're going to have a hard time act up, uh, up seeing what's coming up next and upscaling yourself. I, I love that story. And to me, it's table stakes right now as, as marketers by being involved in these communities, by sharing what you're working on, by trading ideas, by networking, that to me is a requirement in order to help build and develop really great brands. And all of that work that you're doing by meeting, facilitating, connecting, at the end of the day, that's going to reflect positively if you're showing up well and learning, that's going to, sh- that's going to allow your brand to show up well. So I think like for me, as someone who is back in, on Twitter, on LinkedIn, in Peak, in other groups. It's just relationship building. And we all know the saying, like people buy from people, like this is your opportunity as an individual to not only learn, but to maybe drive some new eyeballs in people to the company's website that you work for. Yeah. And I, I would say like, you know, I don't care if people join Peak or not. The point really is, you know, where I'm going with this is, is really like, Find something, just but don't find 10 of them. Go find one of them, be consistent in it, add value, learn from it, get better at it, see what works, and then maybe find another one as you want to, to think about it. But again, in the same thing, you can join, get super excited and join 10 communities. And then you realize, oh my God, this is crazy. I don't have time for this. This is, I want to empathize with every people are working extremely hard and there is no substitute to that, but you got to spend some time to grow yourself and until you block that time or until you join at least one external community that's not your company community, it's going to be really hard for you. I love it. Let's jump into the topic. I think you have a new book coming out, which I got the chance to look through. To me, as someone who's been in marketing slash go-to-market functions for my entire career, uh, a book like this, I think, is needed. And I'm really excited for more people to dig in and learn from it. So I'd love to maybe just in this conversation, talk through, just move the four questions of a go-to-market framework, talk through your mentality, talk through kind of what you were thinking when you put this together. But maybe we start here, like why this book and why this book now? You know, the the, the reason when I, uh, when, when I was researching, we found out that there's only 0.04% of the companies hit 50 million in revenue. And that's on Jason Lumpkin and, and all, like 0.04% hit a 50 million in revenue with all the buzz, all the SaaS, all the MarTech landscape and all the stuff. Like, and if you go to like, you look at, look at even further 100 million above, I mean, it just gets really bad, right? So we hear all these great stories. And when you really discover like what's missing, why are some of these companies not working? It's not because they have a bad vision. It's not because they have a bad team. It's really because the unsexy part of the business is how you make the go-to-market team work. What is your go-to-market motion? And there are many ways to go to market. And go-to-market is just like ABM, an old term that needed to be a little bit of a polishing and like, all right, you need to look at this differently. ABM is no new. When I wrote ABM and ABM is B2B, ABM has been done from the beginning of time. The same thing, go to market seems to be like, we all understand instinctively what it might mean. But a lot of times you will look at it as a channel play. You might look at it as a new product launch play, but go to market is much bigger than that. And, and this is like, so in, the, in my view, 
the research and the thesis for it really came from the fact that there's so many more definitions go to market. We need simplification on it. Number two, this is the reason why companies fail. It's, it's really not the vision, the brand, and all, all the people on the team. You typically don't have a bad vision. You typically don't just hire bad people, but you go to market typically is broken. And, and Brett, we might go through the three Ps in a little bit because the brokenness, it doesn't, it, you, it, it has to break. A, a company at a certain stage has to break out to transform into the next stage, has to break out to again transform into the following stage. So it, it's, it's the necessary evil, but a lot of companies are never able to break through. And that's what this book is about. I'd love to maybe uh, dig into some of your, your personal experience and maybe touch on just go to market and maybe your time at Pardot. I, I think I remember being a, a young marketer at Exact Target when the acquisition happened. And I remember being on floor six of the Guarantee Building and people were flying to Atlanta and people would be like, oh my gosh, like this Pardot company, like there's so much energy. Everyone's excited to be at work everyone's excited to be part of exact target. And so to me, that, that was like, that would be a milestone for, for Pardot, right? Pardot did something well enough, drove revenue, drove value for customers that a bigger company like exact target came in and said, we, we want, we want this solution in this company as a part of what we're bringing to market. I'd love just your mentality as someone who was leading marketing back then. Like, how did you think about go to market back then during that time? Has it changed? I'd love to hear you maybe touch on that a little bit. Oh, absolutely. And I'll give you a couple more examples on, on this three P's framework that's in the book. So real quick, as we go into it, because it will make more sense as I give the context for it. Think about companies in these three stages, problem market fit, product market fit, and platform market fit. A problem market fit is a company where they're just trying to figure out is a problem real enough and is the market big enough? Like I would say, you know, the juice right now is in that market, right? And you guys are constantly looking and fixing and testing and it's a beautiful. And as a matter of fact, you could be a $30 million company and still be in a problem market fit because you still are figuring it out. Your churn, retention, all of that is still out of whack. You don't have a repeatable process. Your use cases are not that reliable yet. So if that's the case, if that's you, whoever is listening to this, then you are in a problem market fit, no matter how long you have been in business, you could be a 30, $40 million company still there. A product market fit is a company where you say, you know what, I now know we are able to go into manufacturing industry and we can sell a particular product at this price point and we can just keep doing that over and over again. We can forecast, like we can, we, we have retention now over 100%. When you get to that, then you can say probably that you have a product market fit. And again, you could be a, a $100 million company and still only be product market fit, not even get to platform, which I'll get in a second. But in this stage, a lot of as soon as you see that it's working, it, it breaks again. Going back to the break, you're breaking and breakthrough. You have competitors emerge. You you have to now have a price issue. Like all of all of the reason you're doing price wars, you're into feature war. So all of a sudden you have to reimagine, reinvent yourself. And that's what pushes you. If you can't imagine you would die, or you would essentially move into what I call the platform market fit, where you now have more than one products to sell. And now because you have more than one product to sell, you're able to go into a bigger market than the market you started with. 
And that becomes the place where you, you start playing the game of like, how do I get more value out of the existing business? Instead of looking at all of your customers, you look at a cohort set of customers that are the one that's making the most money for you and able to find more of them. So the problem product platform market fit is a way to look at it. And, that, and it's not a straight line. It's a squiggly line. People, companies fail, live and, and are amazing at problem market fit and die. A lot of $30 million companies never hit 50 million, 0.04%, right? So they die. They can never transform their business. A lot of product market fit. They got it. They were, they were the darling of the industry and fail because they never were able to get to it, to a platform market fit because of the market and the market conditions. So let's example of Pardot, right? Pardot, Pardot was acquired when Pardot was about 10, 11 million by exact target at that time. Was a pretty good gig, and at, at that time, I think Pardot literally had what we will call a product market fit because marketing automation was an established category. They've already had thousands of customers, so it, it was a repeatable process. Didn't raise a lot of money, but they were not a platform at all. It was all was marketing automation. So they were out of problem market fit into product market fit, and exact target. It made sense for them to acquire because now they could add Pardot to their suite of platform solutions and say, hey, we offer this too. So ET, exact target, was a platform market fit at that time. But I'll take you to a, like, you know, that's a B2B example. Uh, let, let's just talk about a B2C example. You know, just so, because this concept is so, this was a very fun thing for me, Brad. It was like, oh my God, this, this applies everywhere. So, so think about it from McDonald's, right? McDonald's in 1940s, they started with barbecue to orange juice. Like a lot of, not a lot of people know that. 1940s, they started with barbecue to orange juice because they were trying to perfect the, is the, prob, is the fast food a thing and they were in the problem market fit. Eight years later, they just survey and figured out that, oh my God, people only take eat three things like that's where 87 percent of the profit came from and you know the answer to that hamburgers and fries and soda that's all we all love to eat so they stopped the shop for three months reimagined their their fast food and in 1948 that's what they launched and that became what mcdonald's we know and now we know they are a platform market fit because they have 150 billion but you go further down you look at morning brew and skim that we talked about they started with a newsletter for millennials for that business line. And they said, they don't need to read, they don't like reading Wall Street Journal. We're going to create a newsletter just for them, right? So that was problem market fit. They were solving a problem for a market. They became a, they truly became a product market fit in 2018 when they had a $3 million business with just one newsletter, one product, very focused. And now you can call them platform market fit because they're a $20 million business. And guess what? They expanded their, their product suite and now their platform. They have a retail newsletter, a tech newsletter, a marketing newsletter, like all these things. You can even, if somebody's a fan of Joe Rogan, you can, you can think about Joe Rogan, right? Like he started by a podcast in 2009 answering questions on Twitter. But then he figured out that works. That's a problem market fit. He's focused on one thing, one channel, the podcast. It became the top podcast in 2011. And now he has a $100 million deal with Spotify to do his expansion of his brand. So to me, this is a B2B. This is a B2C. This is a personal brand. You go from problem market fit, you go to product market fit, and eventually you transform yourself, your business into a platform market fit. I love all of those examples across outside of B2B because I think that it's so important to draw inspiration from other places than just B2B marketing at this point. So I love the call outs. So if you're, there's so many different ways to think about go to market. 
There's different ways to think about the go-to-market function, what it means for your business. You talk about the three Ps. I would imagine a majority of people out there listening work in go-to-market at some shape, form, or the other. How did, how should they, how do you recommend they go through the process of evaluating which P they're involved with or what, what stage they're at right now? Well, so one of the first and most important thing is to recognize that they have in their organization is go-to-market broken. And the way you figure out is your go-to-market broken is, and, and people can just nod as they're listening to it, and you know because this is this is this is a self-vulnerable person uh, personality part of your that's going to come out here. But this, how do you know your go-to-market is broken before you can even think about fixing or not or what stage you're in? You have to figure out is your go-to-market broken or not. And in the survey and these hundreds of interviews that we did, we realized that there are a few things: is your churn killing your business right now? If let's say you have a salespeople who are somehow miraculously with their heroic activities able to get to the numbers at the end of every month, and that's how you, by the skin of your teeth, you're able to get to the number that month or that quarter. Your go-to-market is broken. It's not scalable. You, you, You now have, you're able to generate more leads, but your win rate is not there. For some reason, you're still in the low tens or maybe fives or 15%, and you're never able to cross 30, 40, 50. So you have to keep generating more but you're not converting enough to, to drive your business forward. Your go-to-market is broken. Customers jump on, for example, quickly because you have the hype and the demand and the marketing swagger to get them on or a new category swagger to do it. But at the end of the renewal, they are questioning if they should renew or not. Like Then you know that you are, your go-to-market is broken. You, 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 you know, for example, if you can't predict if you're going to hit your pipeline goals or revenue goals in a quarter or two quarter or three quarters in a row, you got to go to market problem. So to me, the first and foremost step, I talk to my son about this all the time is like when something goes wrong, it is extremely hard, but we have to take a moment and realize, okay, it is wrong. Something is going wrong. And I think it's, it's a very important, this is the part where people keep doing the stuff. They need to pause and recognize, okay, something is broken. Now that we all recognize it, that's the next step, but go ahead, Brett. No, no. I think uh, just having the self-awareness around what you're working on and telling people and realizing that it's not all roses. And I don't know, I view the role of the marketer as a problem solver, someone who solutions things around a business. Um, It's not just the person who, you know, makes pretty things and publishes them. Like I think the, the marketer right now in B2B like serves I'm biased here, but the most important role um, because it, it, it can work just across the entire business. So I, I just love that mindset and just reflecting and saying, you know what? We might think what we're doing is the best, but like, let's take a step back and look at the numbers and let's figure out what's broken before we go start doing more advertising, before we start running more campaigns, before we start producing more content. You, you're right on. And I think marketers... Everybody listening, because that's the audience I believe is listening. That we have literally a, uh, I think, fiduciary responsibility to bring this to the organization and have that conversation. I don't think anybody else is even more even more capable of of looking at all that stuff because everybody's in their silos. Sales has a number on their back every month, otherwise they lose their job. So they're going after it with a very singular focus on what they need to do. Customer success, they have to make sure the customer retain, otherwise they lose bonuses and we got other issues and stuff. But marketing, our job is to support all these and we're there to either incrementally or exponentially grow business. That's the only reason we're in their business. I have not seen many companies have marketing roles 
for any other reason than to incrementally or exponentially grow sales. So let's just be honest. That's our job. If that's not what we do, we will be fired pretty quickly. <laughs> Let the numbers drop for a couple of quarters. The CMO is out. The marketing team is out. It's just, just the nature of the game that we're in, especially in B2B. So if that's the case, we now, if we can, if, if we are really thoughtful about it, Brett, to your point, we have so much information about all of it. We can look at this data. We can take the time. We can take an objective view of it and literally go to the executive team and say, all right, guys, we think we have a broken go-to-market. And, and go-to-market, meaning your revenue team is marketing sales and customer success, including your product team as, as they drive in. But really, that's your revenue team, marketing sales and customer success. And you can start objectively. And that's what I do with the book. We have scorecards called the go-to-market scorecard. We have playbooks for people to download on the movebook.com where they can literally start looking at and downloading it and, and seeing it in their organization and saying, all right, we got a problem. Pick three top three challenges in your organization to your point, And you will figure out that most of them will go back to your go-to-market. It's not your vision. It's not your team. It's not your ability to scale your business. It goes back to your go-to-market. It's really good. I love it. Let's let's move to the title of the book, <laughs> um, Move and the Move Framework, Market, Operations, Velocity, and Expansion. I'd love to have you maybe talk through what was the origin? How did you group all of those together to create Move? Um, I know you're a creative guy, so putting all these things and making it the title of your book makes sense, but I'd love for you to unpack it a little bit. Oh, totally, man. Initially, that's really where it started. The three piece came afterwards. Uh, when I, we initially had about 50 questions and we interviewed Brian Halligan, who's the CEO of HubSpot, to Christopher Lockhead, to, you know, Megan Eisenberg, all like we interviewed 50, Mark Roberge, who, who, who's a Harvard Business School professor and now stage two capital, he was with HubSpot, all, all these people. And what is interesting is when we started with 50, it came down to these four questions, really, like literally, who should you market to? And what's interesting is when you apply the three-piece framework, the questions remain the same, but the answers different. And I want to say that again, because I think this is the beauty of the move framework, which is why it became the title, because it is about figuring out what your next move is in the organization. Do you, do you want to move from problem to product, product to platform? That's literally the conversation that C-level and the board is having every day. So the three Ps helps you, helped us as we started to, but it will help you have the conversation in the C-level saying, hey, what stage of the business are we in? And then the move process will help you to say, okay, what do we need to do to transform our business from stage of problem market fit to product or product market fit to platform. So it literally gives you an architecture of going through it because everybody uses different vernacular around these things. So you use that. And, and the four, the, the move, uh, the market operations, velocity and expansion, it literally became the, 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 the language. People might be using it differently, but these are the same questions. The four questions literally are, who should we market? So in the early stage, it might be TAM, anybody to total relevant market, to the cohorts that you want to go after as you become a platform market fit. Operations, how do you operate effectively? Big difference, not efficiently, effectively. This is where in the early stage in a problem market fit, you might be going after very reactive, you, know, you really don't have like the finance team is probably running your numbers. But as you get to product market fit, you now have a marketing ops and a sales ops and a customer ops and product ops. But as you get to a platform market fit, you likely will have revenue ops reporting directly into COO or CEO or CFO or something. The velocity question is, the, is, is one of the most common questions everybody's asking. 
when can we scale our business fast enough? When is the next time? When do we hire the next people? The answer to the question is the same way. Are your ratios of market to demand connecting? Are your ratios of conversion actually happening? Are people actually seeing ROI of your customers seeing ROI of your product? So as soon as you see some of the ratios that we mentioned in the book, you now know you're ready to scale. You can answer that question. It makes sense to do that. And the expansion is actually the one that Scott Dorsey gave us, uh, who is the CEO of Exact Target. He said when he was running Exact Target, he constantly thought about this idea that where can we grow the most? Where can we go? Should it be more salespeople that we should hire? Should I just go ahead and buy an agency and actually have that agency become act as my sales team? Should I acquire a company? Should I do a partnership deal with somebody so we can sell our products to there? So it's a, it's a constant expansion thing. So initially, you might have a sales team in a problem market fit. In a product market fit, you might have an agency like HubSpot. 40% of the revenue comes from agency. Like that's their expansion strategy. And then you go international later on, or in many cases, your acquisition could be your strategy. But those four questions, who should we market to? What do you need to operate effectively? When can we scale your business? Which is a big question everybody's asking all the time. And where can you grow the most? Those four questions became the thesis of how you operate and they remain the same, but the answers change based on the stage of the business. There's a ton to unpack there, and I want to get back to a question regarding the move framework. But before I do that, you led this with you had conversations with Brian at HubSpot, Scott Dorsey, all of these people who have been in the game, have been through it, um, have something to say, have experience. To make this book, you collaborated with several thought leaders in the space to create content. That is something that I think a lot of modern day marketers are doing right now. They are getting outside their comfort zone. They're reaching out to individuals to learn about their experience, to learn about uh, what they're working on, their philosophy, and they're turning these relationships into content. That's what you're doing with this book, which I think is awesome. Now, people listening, not everyone's probably going to go send Scott Dorsey a cold email and say, hey, would you be on my podcast? I've got something to talk to you about. However, there's an approach and a way to do it to help add value to your audience, to help get people to say, yeah, let's talk. I'd love, and I know you, you've built a, a brand around what you're doing, so it's probably a little bit easier for you to get some of these big names, but I'd love for you may, to maybe touch on that process of reaching out to folks interviewing them and making them a part of your framework. Oh man, I, that's a full podcast on how do, you, how do you pull this together? Because it is such an important thing that you double clicked on. So everybody listening, if you forget everything I said, remember what Brett said. I think those things really do matter and make a difference. For the way I went about this is I went and became a student of this. I said, I'm a student. I wanted to, as I started to unpack this, it's like, oh my God, I didn't come up, even the ABM is B2B. All the books I've written so far, I never walked in with like, I got it. I know the answer to it. Now I just need to get a bunch of people to affirm it. I actually took the reverse approach and said, I'm going to be a student of this thing. I just want to learn how to do it. And I started with the most basic of basic of basic stuff. And then after a few interviews, then ideas start to like, okay, I see that person, this person, that person, they're all saying the same thing, but they're using different words. Let me see if I can come up with a better word that aligns. And then I start slowly becoming more, uh, instead of just asking questions, starting to corroborate and say, if this makes sense and see if people are actually nodding along the way, and that helps. 
Now, specific to all these interviews and all the conversations, I'll give you a, a story which, uh, which really was preterminous because that will relate. Uh, we love, we love stories. We love yeah. stories. So, you know, prior to me starting uh, Terminus, like nobody really knew me right at that time. And even now, like it's, it's not that everyone knows, it's, it's the, the, the small community that you and I are in, they didn't know me and they didn't really, it, it wasn't like I can call up anybody and have a conversation. I didn't really know Scott. I didn't all these people, right? But at that time, I remember we were launching Terminus. This was early, like, like in the problem market fit, like in the first three months of our business. And I, what I looked at, like, who are the top 50 B2B marketing and sales leaders? You know, there's a bunch of lists, looked at all the lists. I didn't know any of them, none of them. And clearly they did not know me. So I did a video for each one of them, a personal video at that time. Now, maybe it's overdone right now for people, but I did a personal video for everybody. I'll say, Megan, this is Megan Eisenberg. At that time, she was a CMO of uh, MongoDB. She's like, Megan. I, I've seen your articles. I love what you're doing. I, will, I would love for you to come and speak at my conference. We're putting a conference called Flip My Funnel. It's your topic, whatever you want to, as long as it's about challenging the status quo of marketing and sales. I want to give you the floor. We are doing the first conference and it would be incredibly amazing if you could come join us and do a keynote. And I sent that video. I used video art as a platform at that time without my relationship with Tyler and others. And I saw that within, a, within 10 minutes, that it has like 50 plus views. I'm like, wait a minute, I'm sending it to one person one at a time. How is it that there are 50 plus views? She had sent it to her entire sales team. This is 2015, right? She sent it to entire whole team like, hey, look, if anybody prospected me like this, I would be following up on it. And she said, hey, I'm flying in. She bought her own ticket. She came and stayed on her own money to be at a hotel. It actually was a keynote. And guess what, Brett? 10 of the 10 people, I had a list one, tier one, tier two, tier three, because I didn't think this was going to work as much. But everybody on the tier one list showed up and spoke. And that was when I had no, there was nothing on my side that I was offering to them other than the stage of this event. And they had everything to lose because I could be the shittiest guy of putting an event together. But they showed up and I, it taught me that you're never too far away from having that one-to-one conversation relationship where you can look in the person's eye and the video did that for me at that time and be able to be as authentic and genuine about it. And the other person, you'll be surprised how they reciprocate to, to that kind of stuff. I, I love that story so much. And I'll say this just in reaction to what you said, the video email message is, 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 not watered down. It's not dead. I've, I've received one since I've been at the juice and it's the most memorable email. And you mentioned Vidyard. It's of a competitor of Vidyard, bomb bomb, Ethan, who I know, you know, he, that is an email he sent video. I still think about, I still remember. And we built a relationship just based on that. So you've said it smart guy, Ethan's done it smart guy. So anyone out there listening video, go check out one of these providers because it's something I'm thinking about, but it can help cut through all the bullshit and all the noise that we deal with on a day-to-day basis as marketers. Yeah. And it takes time. It takes effort. It takes genuine curiosity and, and, and it shows up your personality. So if you're not comfortable with that, uh, you know, it's, it's something that you have to think about it and do it. But I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't, I was like 2015 and before you would, I've never did videos and never, I was never online on any social media. I just didn't do it. I did that because that was the best way to drive our business forward. And I got into it. 
Uh, because if not me, who's going to drive the business? As a co-founder, I had to do what I needed to do. My other two co-founders were tech uh, people. So it, it just made sense. So I launched into it to drive the business forward and build real relationship. And this was a way to do it. But I don't think it is. It, nobody's too far off. Typically, the other way to do all this is through introductions. Uh, if you don't know somebody, the best way to do is like, hey, I find a new connection. You typically are one degree separated today from the one person who can connect you with the other per the person they're looking for. You just need to find who those people are. Do the best job you can on making, don't make it hard. Make it so easy for somebody else to connect with somebody. And, and a lot of times somebody reaches out to me, I may not respond. Like, but Brett, if you send me a note saying, hey, Sangam, you got to connect with this person because so-and-so is real. I'm like, okay, of course, because, you know, we, you and I have a value exchange that I, that I value. So, so connection is another way to go ahead of it. I love it. I, I took us a little off course with that one, but <laughs> uh, maybe a couple quick ones to bring us back on course. You talked about the move framework. I'd, I'd love to maybe drill in a little bit on just the, what does it mean for each role in the go-to-market function, individual contributor, manager, um, executive team member is 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 the way everyone should look at it the same, or does it change based on the roles? Oh, that's a great question. We as we interviewed Brad, as as you know, we interviewed CEOs, CMOs, CROs, VCs, ABMers, and 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 middle management across the board. First of all, go to market is a management question. It's a it's an execution question for everybody else on the team, but it's a management question. Where are you going to grow? How can you scale fast? How are the operations? These are management questions that are happening in every organization almost every day. So this is if you are a marketer today and if you want to get into the C conversation, this is your ticket to it. You go and sit in any room and say, hey, I want to look at I looked at our conversion rates from pipeline to close. And I think we need to fix that. That's a go to market question. You are now in a hot seat and you can drive your business forward. So these are all business drivers. The everything that you will hear in the book and see and read, it, it literally is going to allow you, if you're a marketer, to propel your career forward. Because I, I say it again, that you marketers are in the best capacity to bring this to light and turn the light on for, for everybody in the organization. And hey, no, we, it, why is it so hard? People are already struggling with it. And if you can be the ones saying, hey, let me just switch off the light and let's see, let everybody see what's happening in the room. That's really what it is. You don't have to solve it. That's the beauty of it because you probably won't be able to solve it, but you need the support of all these different teams who might be just running blind or might be just running hard and, and you can be the support, you, you can be the, the catalyst to really say, hey, let me help you by asking the right questions. Because that's, it's not the answers, it's the asking the right questions that will help your organization move forward. And I hope this book allows people to do that. I think it will. Let's close it out with this one. There's a content marketing podcast. We're talking about a book, which is content that you've built and developed. I'd love for you to maybe talk through or just remark on the move framework and content and how does content play a role in the process? Like what, oh, what's time. what? Yeah. Just dig into that a little bit and take us home. Yeah. I mean, ultimately the, the marketer's role is we identify these business problems because that's what these are. You need to figure out, well, what content you need to create for them. You and I both know there's, there are a bunch of stats around like 70, 80% of the content marketing creates is never used by the sales team. And it's still the case. And it's happening in my organization. It's happening in your organization. It just happens in every organization. And, and I think it's your ability to stand and look at that as a status quo 
I think you need to stand up and say, this is no longer, this is no longer good. We're not going to create content that doesn't drive the business forward. But if you can get to those issues by instead of saying, hey, I don't want to do it, as opposed to saying, let's create content to solve this business problem. I think you will be in a much better position to drive your career and the business forward. So content around the problems that will help your business forward is what your next move should be. I love it. Where can people go to pre-order this book? Uh, it will. It is already on Amazon. Uh, it launches on uh, September 21st. So that will be the, the big day. But people can pre-order it all day long. Uh, they can also go to themovebook.com where there will be all the templates and playbooks and the go-to-market scorecard. It's all there. So once people download it or just sign up, I'll make sure people get all these electronic templates from there. Sangram, I learned a ton. Thank you so much. Have to have you on again next time. We got to talk about dig into content collaboration and how it's done. I know you've got some thoughts on that. (laughs) Let's do that. Let's do it. Thank you, Brett. Thanks everybody for listening. Take care. I could listen to Sangram tell stories for days, man. The guy has so much passion and energy for what we're doing with content and in our industry. He is just a great advocate for B2B marketing. He's a modern day marketer trying to be that catalyst to change, to get us to think differently. And I think this book really does a great job. So check it out. Take care of yourself. Take care of others around you. We'll be back with more 3C podcasts next week. Take care.